Good morning and welcome to Hope Church. If it's your first time watching online or you're here in person for the first time, you are our VIP. And we are so excited that you are with us today. Can we give it up for all our first time guests? We honor you watching online and in the house today. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope. And today we are kicking off a brand new series of talks called Frenemies. Everybody say Frenemies. Frenemies is like a friend-enemy, friend-enemy. But before we get into discovering all the benefits of our frenemies over the next few weeks, we have to know what friends are, right? Got to know what friends are. Everybody say, what, what is a friend? What is a friend, not just according to me, but what's a friend according to Jesus, right? I think we've all been informed of what enemies look like. How many of you guys think you got a good handle on what an enemy is? <laughs> Um, from the Bible, we we're going to talk about that more, but in the, throughout this series, I love this. It's going to be a relational series. It's going to be really helpful to your life and your walk with people and your life and your walk with Jesus. But today, we're going to look at what Jesus differentiates friends with. What does Jesus say is really a requirement or something different that makes you a friend? And so we see Jesus make a differentiation in John chapter 15 when he says to his 12 young disciples, no longer do I call you servants, like down here, me to you. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Everybody say friends. Friends is the first step to a friend of me. Friend, friend to me, friend enemy, friends. So I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Wow. So in relationships, you have this. You have this, and you have this. All of your relationships fit into one of three categories. You got relationships here, you got relationships here, and you got relationships here. In some relationships, you have mentors. Everybody say mentors. They're the people that you look up to for leadership. You have people whose opinion you respect. You have people when they speak, you listen, you lean in, you glean from what they're saying. You have people you watch the way they live and you hope to emulate them. You look to them for leadership. And when you have problems, you always go up. Because these people seem to have a handle on the problems that you can't quite figure out. If you want to solve your problem, talk to a problem Solver, I'd like to encourage you with some wisdom today. Never share a problem with anyone that doesn't have the possibility to help you solve it. Never share a problem with someone who doesn't have the potential to help you fix the problem. Because you go up with your problems. Everybody say up. You go to leadership with your problems. Somebody that you feel like has a grasp on the problem in a situation. When you talk down, what you're doing is spreading gossip, drama, getting negative attention. If you're talking to somebody who can't help you with your problem, you just really want to complain. But if you talk to a problem solver, come on somebody, you're going to get some help for your problem. And there's a purpose to communicate around that problem. Tell your neighbor, don't, don't go to a problem person with a problem. Go to a problem solver. I know it seems simple, but so many people just want to talk about their problems, and it's really gossipy drama stuff. So when we look to people for leadership, this is this kind of relationship. It's an upward relationship. Then we have people who look to us for leadership. And this is not diminishing who they are. It's not saying that they're less than or lower than us. But there's people that we look to, and there are people who look to us. Are you catching it? There are people who watch our life. There are people who value our opinion. Right now, my son, he's five years old, and I am like God incarnate to him. Anything I say, he'll believe me. Anything I do, he looks up to me. My word is truth. <laughs> no matter what it is, I could tell him that cows can fly in some countries. He would believe me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are people in our lives, you might think you have none of these, but you have them, that value your opinion, who watch your life, are looking to you for leadership, and they are people that we are responsible for. These are the people that God puts in your life to elevate them, to train them, to help them develop, to help them grow, not to keep them there at a lesser level of living for the rest of their lives, but to make them great. Come on, somebody and empower them, and to disciple them, and to develop them, and to educate them, and any wisdom that you have, you want to be generous with that wisdom. Why? So they can receive the value that you bring, and they can elevate their current reality to have the same freedom that you have in that area. Are you catching me? So everybody has these two. They have people they look up to, 
They have people that look to them. It doesn't matter if it's in a company or in life. There are people up here, and there are people in relationships we have like this, looking to us. But then you got this other one, this parallel partnership relationship, this peer relationship. It's, a, it's what Jesus calls a friendship. It's not necessarily anybody looking to me, and it's not necessarily anybody that I'm looking to. But we are brought together because we share certain commonalities. We have the same passions. We enjoy the same activities. We like the same shows, the same foods. We like to go to the same places. We like to talk about the same things, hobbies, sports. And we, through those things, oftentimes forge friendships. It's not this kind of relationship, and it's not this kind of relationship, but it's somebody that I relate to on my level, and they relate to me on their level. Are you checking? And as long as we have friends, as, and as we get along as friends, this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15. Jesus calls all of these disciples, and he says, follow me, guys, and I will make you. So they start down here. He says, follow me, emulate me, become more like me, and I will make you. I will make you. I will not force you, but I will disciple, and I will develop you. I will bring the best out of you. I will take responsibility for your growth. To make you better as much as I can without being you. I will take responsibility to make sure you are a disciplined person. The root word for disciple is discipline. So he says, I will develop you and I will create in you a discipline to be my disciple. Those 12 men were a bunch of scragglers that became disciplined men. Disciplined men. And they were so inspired by Jesus, their mentor. This is why I love following Jesus. Because Jesus is so inspiring. They didn't even realize how disciplined they were becoming. He's so good. He's so sweet. He's so wonderful. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you don't realize how much you're changing because he's so much better. And you just keep looking at him and you keep changing. And you keep developing. You turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full into his face. And things of the earth grow strangely dim. And all of a sudden you're developing into more like him and less like you. And Peter, he was watching someone else come and try to interact with Jesus. He was a rich, young ruler, and he was going in and out of Jesus' presence. And he was having highs and lows in his life. He was living the yo-yo, roller coaster life with Jesus. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I just realized when you were talking to him about his ups and downs, his ins and outs, I am all in. Like, I just realized, I am committed fully to you. I forsook all and chose to have a disciplined life of following after Jesus. He was so inspired, he didn't even realize the disciplines he started to work into his daily life. Jesus is the master at inspiration. How else do you recruit a tax collector, a doctor, a crew of fishermen, an accountant? See, in many cases, leadership is taking people to a place they never wanted to go they never intended to go, but when, when they get there, they will thank you for taking them there. In many cases, leadership is taking people to a place they never intended to go, but when they get there, they will thank you for making them there, developing them there, discerning them there, bringing them into discipleship there. I love that about Jesus because he just does it so on the down low that Peter has to see somebody else's dysfunction to realize Hey, I'm functional. I actually left all, everything I had, and I followed after you fully committed. And he didn't even realize it up until that point. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you more than just fishers of fish. Watch me do what I do. I love Matthew 11. It says, watch me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Follow me and I will give you rest for your soul. I will teach you the rhythms of grace. I will give you everything you need. Look it up in the message translation. This is what it says. Watch of me, learn of me, walk with me, watch how I do it. Watch how I talk to people. Watch how I touch people. Watch how I care for people. Watch me get moved for compassion for people. People are Jesus' passion. Watch how I love them. Happy Valentine's Day. Watch how I, I love them. Watch how I talk to religious leaders. Watch how I talk to rich, ungodly people like Zacchaeus, tax collectors, and sinners. Watch how I talk to people who need grace and mercy. Watch how I touch the untouchable lepers that nobody else will touch. Watch me touch them. Watch how I heal the sick, deliver the oppressed. I heal the broken heart. Come watch me work. 
Walk with me. Watch with me. Work what I'm doing. Come with me and I'll make you. I'll develop you. It's not a force. It's a development. I'll make you fishers of men. I want you to keep your focus on what I do, Jesus said. I'm the master. You're the servant. You watch who I am. Follow your master. Because Jesus has had three and a half years to take 12 random scraggly guys and turn them into world changers, organization creators and managers. And three and a half years of being with Jesus, Jesus is going to die. He's going to ascend back into heaven. And these men will have the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the whole known world. Come on now. He's got three years. And he catches them in this relationship. He catches them looking up to a leader relationship. They're right here. I would say right here. And in John 15, in just one of these chapters, just you, you will have this tendency to just blow by this. Like, oh, of course he's their friend. But hold on a second. This is a huge shift from servant to friend of Jesus. Jesus said, all right, today I am changing this relationship. I will no longer relate to you like this. I'm going to move you up here. The friend. Oh, sorry. Up here. The friend of Jesus. Not the disciple of Jesus. You know, I wonder how good it would be to be Jesus' friend. It's one thing for you to consider them a friend. But it's another thing for Jesus to consider you his friend. Oh, I'm a friend of Jesus. Oh, Jesus is my best friend. Said everyone who ever encountered Jesus. Because they all were like, he treats me like nobody else. He's my best friend. He loves me. He loves me so much. And you're right. He does love you so much. But when he says it about you, it's different than when you say it about him. It changes. Basically, would your friends consider you one of their favorites on their speed dial? You know, I know that John is my favorite on my speed dial. But are you on John's favorites and his favorites on his phone, right? Are you in his family plan? Family. Jesus is shifting relationship, saying, I know you all thought we were friends this whole time. <laughs> I know it feels like you're my best friend because I'm Jesus, and who wouldn't feel like your best friends when you encounter Jesus? But actually, I'm calling you friends now. This is when it changes. This is when it shifts. And I want to look at what he considers, what takes a relationship to the next level from this to this. Servants to friends. What, what does Jesus say changes the nature of relationships? In John 15, 15, he said, I'm not going to keep you here because when you're here, when you're down here, a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. So the thing that keeps you at arm's length from Jesus is what you don't know. But I tell you today, I call you friends right here. Because everything, here's why, everything my father has told me, I'm telling to you. Everything I have inside of me, I'm going to reveal to you what I'm really saying when I talk to everybody else. He's saying point number one, information creates intimacy. Information is what creates intimacy. Jesus says, I'm going to bring you closer, and the way I'm going to bring you closer to who I really am, what's really going on, is through information. I want to tell you, intimacy has nothing to do with the body. Intimacy has nothing to do with the bedroom. Intimacy has nothing to do with sex. There are people having all kinds of sex out there, and they've never been intimate with a person a day in their life. In fact, you can't have good sex until you learn how to be intimate. It's not my problem if you brought your kids in here today. There's Hope Kids for a reason. Welcome to Valentine's Day intimacy. Come on. I just want to encourage and celebrate all our Hope kids, volunteers, team, leaders. They're incredible. Because I, I know people having all sorts of sex, but they don't have intimacy. Because intimacy is not about the bedroom. Intimacy is just like the word, into me see. And are you into me? Because if you're not into me, you can't have me. you got to be into me see. See into me. If you were at the XO conference, go ahead, give a whoop whoop. Yes, we had such a good weekend at the XO conference. One of the speakers was talking about getting naked, where you can actually see into me. That's intimacy. Intimacy is information, where you see into me, 
And I bring you in close and I start telling you things that are on the inside of me. That's how I change relationships. When I let you see into me. Everybody say intimacy. People say, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, well, I've been around so-and-so, but I don't know them. I know they play t-ball. I know we both enjoy grape airheads at the concession stand. I know he's married to Susie, but we're not intimate. I don't really know him. I know of them, but I don't know him. What are you saying? I don't know them well. Why? Because we have not exchanged much information. We've talked. We're acquaintances, but I'm not intimate. with. I don't know him. I don't trust him. I don't know him because there's not an information. So information is what Jesus says changes the nature of relationships. Jesus didn't say, now I'm calling you friends because of this, 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 and this. No. He says, I'm going to tell you stuff that I know about my father. And this is what's going to change our relationship from here to here. When you're at this level with me, I don't let you know it. I don't let you know it. But if I'm going to bring you in close, I'm going to tell you things that are on the inside of me. I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your relationships with random strangers. I'm talking about what you give away to people. I mean, I think you're thinking I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about you today in your love relationships. You've got to understand that when you begin to share information, the nature of your relationship is about to change. And in order to do that, you have to first ask yourself, is the person I'm about to share my information with qualified to be a listener? And if so, what qualifies them? <laughs> because you don't want people handling your precious, precious information who have no character. You don't want people who have not qualified themselves to hear your heart reality with that information. Because whether you recognize it or not, information creates intimacy. That's what you get. You know, that's why before you get married, you should date at least like a day or two, right? A month or two, like a few moments. Oh, we're getting married, right? We just met each other and we get married. Okay, so you can, see, <laughs> you can see if people that you're about to say I do to, if you date for a while, I dated my wife for two years. There's no like limit on it, but I'm glad we took two years to get to know each other. Because when you get into that information, are you ready for the information that you're about to find out before you say I do? Because it's very hard to hide things when you live in the house with them. They're going to find out. They marry you for your strengths, but oh my gosh, they're going to be like a mirror that finds your weaknesses so fast. Your shortcomings, your brokennesses will find you out whether you talked about them or not, men. Whether you open it or not, she already knows. <laughs> she didn't know exactly what it is. You're keeping it in the dark a little bit, and you're withholding intimacy, but she already knows. Right? Don't think that you can get into a marriage and get away with anything. It just doesn't work. And it's best when they hear that information from you willingly giving it to them first because you trust them, not because they found you out. From a place of willing vulnerability and transparency, not from a place of forceful confession and coercion. Like, can we just agree that you're dysfunctional? No. Can we please just agree that this place in your life is dysfunctional? No. It's forceful coercion and confession. And then you're like, oh, you caught me. I'm a loser. I'm a liar. Now you know how, why I hate myself so much. And now what I've been hiding. And I'm going to tell you what I've been hiding. That's not, that doesn't count. you got to tell them before they find out. Is everybody tracking with me? If you want to create real intimacy, it's not done through manipulation. Women, men. You, you willingly offer the information, and it makes it worth something. If you tell them what it is, and then you force them to tell you, it's not a fun relationship. Let's just get, get out of that kind of thinking, okay? So information, let's say it together. Information creates intimacy. You don't want to marry someone's representative. You don't want to marry the person that they sent out on the first date or the first seven months of dating. No, you want the real deal, holy field relationship. You want to know what you're getting into? Here it is, informationally. Informationally. Before you get into this covenant thing. Well, we didn't talk about our past because we just forgive each other of our past before we ever get started. Oh, man. We just love each other that much that whatever it is, we're never going to go there, never going to go back. Okay, okay. <laughs> but Jesus understands. If I'm going to move this relationship from this level to another level, I'm going to have to expose the things that I've been hiding in my heart from the people that I love at this level without knowledge. They don't know. 
but what I know, but I still love them at this level. And they think they're my friends, but really, they're my servants. That make sense? There's one point in John 16, 12, where Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Jesus like dropping bombs. You can't handle the truth, right? And you can't handle it not because you're an idiot, but however, it's because the Spirit of God's coming. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he's not pushing them down saying you can't handle the truth. He's saying you're going to handle the truth when the Spirit of God will come. Jesus is saying my Holy Spirit is going to be more intimate with you and he will guide you. He will convict you. He will counsel you. I can only relate to you one at a time and where I am at one time. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and have intimate relationship with each and every one of you that will be way more beneficial to all of you. I got super excited. He's going to be more relational and more intimate with information that will relate to all of you. He said, it's actually good that I go away. It's going to be better for all of you that the Holy Spirit comes and relates to you. I honestly don't know how people relate to God without the Holy Spirit. All I can say is it must lack intimacy. Because for me, the Holy Spirit is my key to getting more intimacy in 2021. I want to encourage you, if you want to be friends with God, invite the Holy Spirit into your relationship with him. It'll be so much more dynamic because he will relate to you out of freedom and fullness instead of distance and disconnect that sometimes you have with a Savior who hung 2,000 years ago on a cross and a God in heaven who's always watching. The Holy Spirit is your key to intimacy. I'm not saying Jesus isn't enough. It's the Spirit of Jesus. But it has to be, you have to be open to it, and it'll take you. It, the Holy Spirit, what he does is he relates out of a place of such wholeness. We've got to understand that the way too much of our intimate information is created out of brokenness. Honestly, the majority of what people create intimacy around is the pain of their past. Because whenever you're vulnerable with information, it's not always easy. And you oftentimes think, I'm going to create intimacy by telling them about my past. And it kind of tells the story that we tell ourselves of why we are the way we are in the present. But that is broken and faulty information. Usually steeped in lies that we have believed about ourselves, our worth, our, 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 our dysfunction, our brokenness. Lies that we have told ourselves because this makes sense to the story that I'm living. None of which, by the way, the Holy Spirit would ever let you get away with believing. Because if you're in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't believe you're a piece of trash and nobody loves you. You'd actually believe I am valuable, I am fearfully, wonderfully created. He would not let you get away with this garbage thinking. And he would remind you of who you were before the abuse, before the neglect of your father, before the trauma story that built you into your information that you share with everybody in your story. Because he was there when the original tent with intent was started. Before the foundations of the earth, there was God the Father, there was God the Son, and there was God the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. And he saw you for who you really are. He has intimate information that came before the foundations of the earth even started. He has good works that you are preordained for, that he has insight and intimacy around. And intimacy with the Holy Spirit is not built on broken stories and past experiences. It's built on freedom and vulnerable information about your future and your original intent. Thank you, Jesus, for what you call intimacy might be built around all your pain. You really, most, most times, many people think intimacy is what I give away from my pain of my past. And it's crazy. The danger of pain is people tend to bond over it. And if your dysfunction meets my dysfunction, we become closer, not further away, because you get me. And so now, instead of looking for healthy relationships, we draw in all the sick people. And that sweet girl who's still single, is like, why do only losers like me? Anybody ever heard your girlfriend say that? Why do I keep catching all these dogs? There's no good men anymore. You ever heard that? What are you fishing with, sweetheart? You cast brokenness, you catch. Whatever you cast, you catch. Wherever you dangle is bait to bite. Boom. Bit. Bang. <laughs> You want to catch something different? Use different bait. 
Oh, man, I'm trying to help some single people in here. Because usually, <laughs> the danger to pain is that people tend to bond over pain the quickest. And you've met for coffee, and within 10 minutes over a cappuccino, you're trying to tell each other how bad your divorces were. And, I mean, you don't even know his last name. And that is tremendously private. Oh, it's just information. But what creates intimacy? It's just tremendously private information, tremendously private and painful information, traumatizing information, life-changing information, kid-bearing information. That's where you needed grace the most from God. That's where you needed mercy and fresh chances. That's where God renewed your strength in the most intimate place of your brokenness and restored you from disappointment and unmet expectations of what you thought life was going to be versus what it actually turned out to be. And that's what you start with? All of a sudden, you have somebody who just paid for your coffee, and you are throwing your pearls before pig, sweetheart. And the sad part is, you think it's normal. And you wonder where all the good men are. But it's not normal. It's not functional. It's dysfunctional. Jesus said, you don't take the precious things that you have and throw them out to people who are not qualified to hear them. And if people are not qualified to be a confidant, then the information that you have released can and will be used against you. And it's not their fault for hurting you with it. It's your fault for giving it to them over a cup of coffee on a first date. That's what Jesus calls throwing pearls to pigs. See, Jesus knew and still knows what the most valuable thing is. And he says, the most valuable thing on the, on the planet is my father's kingdom and only he had information about the kingdom and he's saying I'm not just going to give it to anybody he said I'm not going to give it to you because you bought me a cup of coffee I'm not going to be sweet to you just because you opened the door for me and don't hit me like my ex my god what a low standard well he's good to me and he pays for things so I'll stay with him are you kidding me Get the Holy Spirit in your life. You will never settle for that garbage ever again, sweetheart. You will have a higher standard, and you will not live through all the pain and the trauma and the drama of low living expectations. I'm trying to help somebody. What Jesus is saying, I know things about my Father's kingdom. I'm not going to give it to anybody, just anybody. I will be particular about who I leave these keys to the kingdom with. Because these keys have the potential to unlock heaven on earth. I'm not giving keys to the kingdom to dangerous people. And yet, on first dates, we got girls giving keys to men to their house. Not to even mention the sex part. I'm not giving keys to people I barely even know. And you're right, sex is not as a big of a deal as information. And that's why you're like, sex isn't a big deal for you. It's not a big deal for me. I'm trying to help somebody today. It's because you know that intimacy is key to information. And that's what you give him first thing out your mouth before you go to bedroom. I'm not living to give him the keys of my heart because he's nice to me and he listens to me. Get a higher level of expectation. All the married people are trying to help you, said. All the single, broken, been hurt there, been there before, said. But Jesus is shifting the relationship and he's using information to do it. Point number one, information creates intimacy. I'm having too much fun and I'm taking too long. I'm so sorry about that. The truth is, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got to tell you one thing before we move on. The truth is, you can only love at the level to which you learn. You can only love to the level of what you know. And you can't love beyond what you know about a person. My love parallels my learning. My love parallels my knowledge. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. My love parallels your knowledge, what you've learned from me. When I met Sarah, I wanted to get to know her more. Do you see what I'm talking about? <laughs> because I loved what I knew up until that point. So I, I want to learn some more so that I can love some more. Most people are afraid to share information that creates intimacy because they feel like if you knew the real me, you wouldn't love me because I know the real me and I don't love me. And you just assume that because you know you and you don't like you that they will feel that way too. And so you withhold. They're like, who would want to be with this mess, Right? And so you withhold information and a lack of intimacy is in your marriage because of a lack of trust in other people's capacity to love you on the level that you know. 
Because you don't think they can love you on the level that they don't know. But if you're in a marriage covenant relationship, you have to trust your spouse to love you on a level that they don't know yet. You have got to reveal information. So knowledge creates intimacy. Intimacy. And then you have love on the level of the learning that you've done. Are you tracking with me? Number two, relationships require reciprocity. I don't care what relationship you're in, boss relationship, marriage relationship, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever relationship. Relationships always require reciprocity, replenishing. No relationship is sustainable when one person is doing all the giving. Maybe if you've had a hard time sustaining friendships, just friends in general, you might want to take inventory and see, does it cost too much to be my friend? <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, there are some people that are just takers, right? Some of the most difficult people to be around are people who come into everything thinking about what can I get out of this? What can I get from them? How can this person benefit me? Those are some of the most difficult people to do life with because they drain you. They always have a problem. They always are the one that needs attention. You've been their friend for 10 years, and you've never had a conversation that wasn't about them. And they drain you, and they deplete you, and they do not add to you. They take from you. They pull from you. And then you got to go to your husband, and your husband's like, you look like a mummy. You look like a corpse because they have sucked all the life out of you. They're energy vampires, not energy empires. And they are sucking from you like a mosquito in a nudist colony. You've got to get free from the suction. Because everything that's wrong, they're going through you. they got to tell you everything. It's what's hurting them. It's what somebody did to them, of course. It's the way they were a victim again. And they've never been in a situation like this before. It's always the exception. It's always urgent. It's always an emergency. And you take them to lunch, and they're always just a little bit short. Oh, I forgot my wallet in the car. Hey, if I'm always buying the burger, if I'm always making sure your emotional tank is full, if I'm always talking to you about your problem, uh, if I'm the only one that can help you and the only one who understands, I can't sustain a relationship like that. Whether, whether you're getting anything out of this, this is therapeutic for me, so I'm just having a, a really good time today. And that relationship is limited. Everybody say limited. And the first chance somebody gets to get out, they're going to find that door and they're going to look for a way out. Why? Not because they don't like you. Not because you're not a person that they would be attracted to, but because you're, being your friend costs too much. You're always making withdrawals and you never put in deposits. You're living on credit. You take too much from me. You take too much out of me. And it's dysfunctional because relationship always requires reciprocity. You don't believe me? Let's go to the Bible, Galatians 6, 9. Let's read it together. Let's say it backwards. We're going to start in Galatians 6, 9. We're going to read 6, 8. Then we're going to read 6, 7. Then we're going to read 6, 6. But I want you to see something here. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we'll reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. Raising your hands. How many heard that verse before? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, number two, Galatians 6.8. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Not as familiar, but you might have heard that before. Galatians 6.7. You probably heard this one. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Most everybody's heard verse 9. Most everybody is familiar with 7 and 8. You know, everybody knows for what a man sows that will also reap in return. But nobody reads this one. Nobody seems to know this one. Let's read it. Galatians 6, 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Let those who are taught the word share in all good things with those who are teaching. Do you know why God put this principle in here? Because every teacher, every giver, Every value adder, every mother, every father, every mentor needs to be replenished. Because nobody is wearing an S with a cape on their shirt and around their neck. Nobody is Superman. Nobody needs nothing from no one. Everybody has needs. Every husband has needs. Every wife has needs. Every child has needs. Every single person has needs. Every giver needs to be replenished. And the word of God is saying it's not right for everyone to receive from you and you never be replenished. 
And it's not right for you to always receive from people and never replenish what you just were given. That's called abuse. Abuse. I'm wondering if I'm in an abusive relationship. Sometimes I need an outside lamp. Well, if the relationship is one-sided and there's no reciprocity, it's called abuse. Abuse. And before you start being a victim of how terrible all your friends are and how you give so much and nobody ever gives back to you, just take up some inventory. How many bad people there are in your life, just stop and think for one second. Where can I be better at replenishing others who are giving to me? Because the way you get encouragement is by being encouraging to others. And the way you get strengthened is by strengthening others. And the way you get love on Valentine's is by being generous in your love for others. The Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So if the teacher adds value to you through the Word of God, then share your story of life change. Come on, McKenna. Come on now. Share the fact that after going to EXO, my marriage is getting better. Share the fact that handling people at your work that are dysfunctional, it's getting better. Share the fact that the series of life change is changing your life. You know in your team, our team just loves when people share the stories of life change that they experience here at Hope Church. Pastor, this message is changing my life, my relationships, come on, my habits, my heart. It's changing me from the, write the email, write the post, write the DM, come on, write in the comments of the post, share the content, share the impact, share the place. It happened at Hope Church. Hope Church is where my life is being changed. I'm discovering true freedom. I'm experiencing God like I've never experienced Him. There is so much hope here. Replenish the thing that is replenishing you. I know it sounds simple, but the principle is profound. Let's read it one more time. Galatians 6, 6. Let them who are taught the word share in all good things with those who teaches, those who add value. Why? Because no teacher, no mother, no preacher, no one can handle one-sided relationships forever. When something good happens in the house of God, turn around and share it, please. I want to say in every relationship. In every healthy relationship, whenever I receive something from someone that makes me better, I always want to turn around and reciprocate something back to them. I always want to replenish off what I receive. Why? I should not be increased while they are being diminished. There should be a cycle. Receive, replenish. Receive, replenish. Don't get mad at me. This is Galatians 6.6. Receive, replenish. Receive, replenish. Receive, replenish. Well, something's going out of me, something should be putting back into me. That's healthy. And when something's going out of them, I'm going to put something back into them. That's health. That's the way healthy relationships should be in your life. You can't sustain anything when you're the only one praying. You're the only one giving. You're the only one paying for lunch. You're the only one encouraging. Somebody somewhere has to come back around and put some courage into you. Somebody's got to reach in their pocket and say, hold on, I got it today. Come on now. Somebody's got to turn around and say, let me clear your path. Let me lighten your load. How can I partner with you? When somebody is always taking from you, even Jesus could not sustain that kind of relationship. John chapter 5, Jesus is healing people. John chapter 6, Jesus is healing people, delivering people. Later in John chapter 6, Jesus is healing people again. And he looks up. He turns around, he sees 5,000 men, women, 5,000 men sitting on a grass, grassy knoll, not counting women and children, 5,000 men looking at Jesus, hungry, empty, famished. And here they are, empty again, and all they've been doing is receiving all day. All of them are hungry. Up to 15,000 people. Jesus takes two loaves, or five loaves and two fish to start distributing for maybe upwards to 15,000 people after healing all day. That's a lot of fish. That's a lot of loaves. The disciples come to him and say, they're hungry. We should send them away. They're hungry. What idiot comes out here in the wilderness without a lunch? They're hungry. They haven't eaten all day. And Jesus says, no, you take ownership as leaders. You take ridiculous responsibility. You take the ownership, disciples. Men of hope. My wife is always saying I'm not enough. She's always needing more from me. 
take ridiculous responsibility. And it doesn't seem like it's fair because she doesn't know what I do or how it works or what this is. And they don't value what I do bring. They only show me what I don't bring. I don't care. Take ridiculous responsibility. Every leader in every organization, in every place, take ridiculous ownership. It's not my fault they came hungry. What kind of person doesn't take care of themselves and their wives and their kids? We should send them away. No, Jesus says, take ownership. Be a leader. The world is craving leadership. I know it's not your problem. Make it your problem. Take ridiculous responsibility. Your kids, anything that's wrong, you own that problem. Your wife, anything that's out of whack, you own that problem. This is to help you. You give them something to eat, he says, to his 12 discipled, disciplined leaders. And all of them just gave Jesus blank stares. And he said, okay, what do you have? We got a little boy's lunch. We jacked that from him. You guys go, what? you know what, just give me the lunch. You guys go split people up into groups. Can you handle that? Can you get out of the mentality that you're the victim and start to be the solution, the problem solver to the problem? Can you just shift realities and shift dynamics? Because the problem is not them, it's you. The problem's not what they lack, it's what you lack. So shift your eyes. Look up. The harvest is ready. Just change the way you think. You're a ridiculous, responsible leader now. I'm making you a champion, not a coward. Quit turning people away like cowards. Take ownership. Quit saying my problems are more important than their problems. Take ownership. Be a problem solver. You guys go, split people up into groups. I'll show you what to do. I'll involve you in this thing. And they go feed fifteen to 20,000 people without food with little boy's lunch. And after he's been healing all day, and he's been feeding all day, after all this investment, if you read a little bit later in John chapter 6, you can hear Jesus' frustration with this huge crowd. He finally turns around and he says, you know what? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And the Bible says, and from that day forward, many followed him not. As soon as Jesus turned around and said, at some time or another, you have got to love me back. You've got to invest in me. You've got to commit to me. Where do your loyalties lie? And so many of them left him because their loyalty lied with their needs, not his. With their kingdom, not his kingdom. When it got uncomfortably close to reciprocity, people just took off, booked it in relationship. If you're ever going to identify unhealthy relationships or you're ever going to cultivate healthy relationship, you've got to realize that anything that is or has been one-sided needs attention. It needs your attention, your devotion. Anything you ignore will implode. Marriages, men, women, husbands, wives, anything you keep ignoring and saying they don't need that information, we don't need that intimacy, it will implode. Somebody shout me down, somehow. Anything you ignore, anything you ignore, it will implode. So go ahead, give it attention. Anything that's one-sided. That if I've just been receiving, I need to share. And if I've just been giving, I need to be replenished. Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive. Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive, which takes you out of a victim mindset of what he's not enough of or what she never does or gets. I'm not the victim in my marriage. You're not the victim of your own spawn. You're, you're not the victim of your boss who pays you to do your job. You're not the victim of the team that comes around you and works with you. You're not in competition. You're not a victim. You're not a victim of the co-workers around you. You're not a victim of people in your life. You're not a victim of the news anchor for Pete's sake. My God, take some ownership. <laughs> Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. Quit worrying about everything. It takes you out of a victim mindset. But Jesus never intended for you to live in an abusive relationship where things are being stolen from you, sweetheart, and you call it generosity. You're being messed around with, and you say you deserve it. Wherever we receive, let's be sure to reciprocate something, to replenish something. Cultivate a culture of honor and value in your relationship where you take ownership for things that you shouldn't even care about or things that aren't even your fault. Be a ridiculous ownership. You need leadership in your love life because God is not mocked. We read it together. Whatever a person sows, that they will also reap. Let's read it together on the verse. Verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh... <laughs> From the flesh will reap destruction. You didn't think this was a marriage verse. Let's start from the beginning, verse 7. Because God is not mocked, 
<laughs> Whatever a person sows into another person, you also reap. You don't like what you're getting? You're looking in a mirror, sweetheart. Marriages don't cover your brokenness. They reveal it. And what you have is based on what you're giving. I don't believe that. It's their problem. It's always been their problem. I have no ownership of that. You better start to get some ownership. Whatever sows to please their flesh, they're going to reap in flesh. Whoever sows in spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. So marriages, husbands, wives, let's not grow weary, verse 9, in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart. If we don't give up on each other. If we don't give up when it's hard. If we don't give up when it's uncomfortable. When we don't give up when we really feel like it's their problem, not ours. Come on, if you believe it this morning, say yes. I'm sorry, I'm all up in your kitchen. That's all I got for you today. I'm, th I'm thinking, man, my goodness, I hope that this is a word that's applied and not just applauded. It's so much better to apply it than it is to applaud it. And I'm so thankful for people of hope who are hungry. You say, Jesus, you're my strength and you never fail. You know, it's impossible for me to give her what she needs, but Jesus, you are my strength. You are my shelter, and you never fail. The reason I married Sarah is because she was good all by herself. She was beautiful, competent within herself. She had a 4.0 throughout school. I'm like, dang, this girl doesn't need me. I said, hey, girl, hey. She's like, yeah, not really interested. I'm serious. We, we bonded out of our strengths for our future, not the brokenness of our past. I love friends who don't need me to be their friend. But they choose me to be their friend. And they add value to my life. Come on now. They don't need me because they're broken. They want to run with me because we're both whole. That's the way you want to process. That's the way you want to get in a relationship. I love Jesus because he doesn't just need me. He wants to run with me. And maybe you've never discovered that about Jesus. He actually wants to run with you in life. To give you life to the fullest. He doesn't just want to heal your brokenness. He wants to see you thrive and flourish and do life at a whole nother level. This is not about survival. This is about thriving through life. And when I go to him, I find completion. Sarah, she'll never do it for me. She'll never do it for me. You know what she does? She compliments me. Only Jesus. I want to tell you, if you don't know Jesus today, only Jesus can complete you. Only Jesus can fill the voids and the gaps. No man, no woman, no child can fill and complete the gaps in your soul. Jesus completes partners, marriages, covenant relationships, friendships. They complement. They facilitate growth. They help me become more like Jesus, but they don't be Jesus to me. Compliment. If you're looking for completion in people, you'll always be hurt always be disappointed. Nobody will ever be good enough for you. I want to encourage you this morning. Get into a relationship with Jesus. The one thing that I've found in relationship with Jesus is that he is always pouring into me more than I'm pouring into him. And every time I give to him, I get back like double, triple, quadruple, seven times what I started to pour out to him. Relationship with Jesus is the easiest thing I could ever do on the planet. People say it's so hard to follow Jesus. Pick up your cross, follow him daily. It's so easy to love, love himself. It is not hard to follow God who's so full of grace and mercy and truth. He's the best thing that's ever happened to us. And there are some people here who have discovered I don't have to follow Jesus. I get to. And when I run with him, he completes me and he compels me. He completes me and he pushes me. We're all, yeah, I won't even get into it. I won't even get into it. I'm saying, thank goodness, there's so much in relationship with Jesus more than survival. So today, if you've walked away from Jesus, you say it doesn't work for you, I challenge you on that. I want to ask you, maybe you didn't know the Jesus that I know because following him is not difficult, it's not hard, it's not full of condemnation, it's full of empowerment and conviction and calls me higher and never leaves me or forsakes me in my own self-strength. He's an amazingly good God. Spirit of God, my counsel, my compeller, my convictor. Jesus is for you, not against you. He said, I didn't come to steal your life, rob your life, take away from you, control you, make you what I want you to be. He said, I came to empower you and to develop you, not to force you, but 
to inspire you into a life to the fullest. I'm not here to steal, rob, kill, destroy. I'm here to give you life and life more abundantly. So today, if you want to get in relationship with him, just by a simple act of faith, I want to encourage you, raise your hand. With every head bowed and every eye closed on the count of three, simply raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to pray with you right in my seat, right where I'm at today. Come on, today is your day of freedom. Today is your day of fullness. Relationship to the fullest. That's what he promises us. We will not settle for anything less than his very best. If you want to get into relationship with the God who knows you, who loves you, who is for you, not against you, who is all the time consistently throwing his very best at you. Come on, on the count of three. One, today is your day. Two, don't wait, don't hesitate. Three, that's me, Pastor. I want to get into relationship with Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Come on, I'm looking for hands. If that's you today, thank you. It's incredible in the balcony. I see it. If that's you, thank you, sir. Come on, thank you. That's awesome, man. The best decision. Come on, thank you. There is no condemnation for those of you at Jesus. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's freedom. There's fullness. There is joy. This is the best decision I've ever made with my life. One more moment. If you want to get right with Jesus or get into relationship with him for the first time, right now is your day of freedom. Let me see it. I want to know who I'm praying with today. Come on, this is great. This is awesome. Come on, can we celebrate these decisions today? Woo. If we could, can we just stand to our feet and pray this together as a church? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you ask Jesus into your life with your mouth, you will be filled, you will be saved, you'll be completed. No more wandering, no more wondering, no more purposeless bouncing through life. There's completion found in Jesus. Let's say it together. Jesus, I give you all that I am. Everything good, everything ugly. I surrender it to you. I ask that you change me, renew me. Forgive me. Bring me into fullness of life. I trust you more than I trust myself. Make me a new creation. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, let's say a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.